good to be here. Good to be here for lots of reasons. One, it's our friend's church. That's number one. Number two, it's good to be here after yesterday. That was a special day. <laughs> that was a special day for our, for our land, for our Lord, for the gospel, for minorities. That was a good day. I mean, if you're not proud to be a Brit, you might have to pinch yourself. And if you're not a Brit, you should be proud to be a believer because the gospel was preached. And uh, so what a great, what a great, great day and celebration. And it just was special. I think it's good for us to be conscious of how privileged we are that uh, there was no compromise yesterday. There was no compromise. And then thirdly, it, it happens to be Pentecost. Oh, didn't you know that? See, when we were all Anglicans, we had our liturgy down, didn't we? We had all this, uh, we, we probably even knew what it meant. And I, I, <laughs> I was name dro- I'll name drop, but I don't do too much of it. But I was with RT the other day, RT Kendall, he's, he's a friend actually, which is kind of fun. He said, you know, one of the problems with the, with the, modern churches we don't preach through the bible anymore he said when you preach through the bible you find the issues the sometimes you just have to preach them because they're in the word and and if you preach through the bible the issues of the bible take the context of the bible instead of the context that you think they should have in the world and it was like that's that's good rt you should make a living out of this preaching lot, man. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. So, so I was thinking about Pentecost and, um, and I, I, I read it in the Passion Translation. How many of you got the Passion Translation? Isaiah's coming out soon. He's on Isaiah 58. I read that the other day. I'm like, I'm so excited about Isaiah. It's probably my favorite Old Testament book ish because I like a lot of them. But I was reading in the Passion Translation and Peter uh, said, Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of this world. He said that after his great speech. And it just got me thinking. uh, And it got me thinking, what? what, what, Is there anything that that Pentecost could could say to us? This this extraordinary event. And I, I, I just started... Noticing that there, there were, I think there are four things. There are four cultures that, that really were being changed that day. And, and I think you manifest them a lot here. So I'm probably preaching to the choir. But I, I just noticed these four, four key things that were probably much more significant to them. But I have a feeling that they were really significant in the, the birth of the Pentecostal church in the beginning of the last century. But I have a feeling that they're perhaps even more significant today um, than perhaps they've ever been. So I'm going to bounce around two translations because I'm lost without the New American Standard and all my scribblings in the margins. But there's some things in the Passion that are extraordinary. So Jesus had said to the guys, wait. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. And, and then, of course, we have, 
you know, and I won't go through it, you know it. You know the, the tongues of fire. You know the, the speaking in, in, in tongues. You know the drunkenness. You know that bit. And, and then Peter stood up, which may be more remarkable than any of us realize. Anybody who's ever preached knows there's a little bit of nervousness to preaching. But for Peter to stand up on that day may be more significant than, than any of us can ever fully understand this side of eternity. And he said, this is what I will do in the last days. Quoting the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There is a culture of Pentecost that is all. That was significant then because up until then, there was the culture of the priests. There was the culture of the holy ones. There was the, there was the culture of those who, who had it. And then there was the culture of everybody else. And I... I feel like this moment in history that we're a part of needs to be a culture of all again. That there are places, and I know it's not a factor here because you have a leader who's, my language, done a real job. He's not always been paid to go to church, my language. He's been paid to do a real job. Probably most of you in here will go to work tomorrow morning. I'm guessing. Yeah? You're very quiet. Do you not work here? You'll be paid to go to work tomorrow morning. You weren't paid to come here today. You weren't paid to have a title. You weren't paid to carry a microphone. You're you're paid to go out there. And Peter stood up and said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe... That it's time for a culture of all. A culture when all know the priesthood, the true priesthood of all believers. This was a dramatic change. This, there are many ways you can look at Pentecost, but, but Pentecost has a link to first fruits. And, and of course it's, it's 50 days after Passover. So it's 50 days af- after them having celebrated Passover together, that last supper. And there are many ways you can look at it, but I want to suggest to you that that link to first fruits is that this that happened on that first Pentecost is the first fruits of what Jesus did on the cross. And he changed culture. He changed it once and for all. He ended all of the routines and the rituals. He he ended all of the divisions between priests and common man. He ended it once and for all. And I think religion has allowed so much of it to creep back in. And it needs to stop. It needs to end. I was very privileged some years ago. I went to Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism. I, I, I had an incredible time there. But I'll never forget Suzette Hetting on the first night. And if I'm being honest, I was a little bit like, oh, I guess we've got to go through the being taught how to pray bit kind of thing. Because she was Reinhard Bonnke's intercessor for many years. I was not expecting her to do what she did in the first session. Where, where she took the passage out of the Bible. That there is much weeping between porch and altar. And she gave me an answer for something that I talked about, but I didn't have such a clear articulation of before she said this. She said, all of us have a priestly ministry and all of us have a kingly ministry. And I'm like, I could hug you right now, Suzette. 
Because I hear these people going, oh, there's a kingly, uh, the kings, kingly ministry is the marketplace, priestly ministry is somehow the church. No, we're kings and priests. All of us have a priestly ministry. We get to the altar, we pray, we read the word, we're, we're in relationship with God. But every one of us has a porch ministry. When we go to the porch, when we go to the public world, and, we, and we, there's crying between the two, but we get here to do the work, as it were, the real work of ministry, the hard graft of ministry, the getting dirt under our fingernails of ministry called real life. And when Suzette did that, it's like once and for all, for me, I knew that I I had language to say what I'd always believed. The culture of Pentecost birthed the culture of all. A culture of all people, of all mankind. I will pour out my spirit on all. And we, and, and I love that this, this house has a culture of the presence of God. The, the culture of the presence of God, the culture that, that we can all enter into the Holy of Holies is, is so much about Pentecost. I will give everyone access to the Holy of Holies. When that veil was torn, it wasn't just a symbolic act. It was torn that we could all enter in. The first culture of Pentecost I want to suggest to you is a culture of all. And we need it again. We desperately need it again. For our our churches to be what they were always intended to be. It's it's another message for another day. but, But, you know, when Jesus talked to Peter, he said, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. To be honest, I think for 2,000 years we've been trying to do what Jesus said he would do. Because he said he'd build it. But then he said, but my father gives you the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. To go and do this thing. To expand the borders of the kingdom. And if the church doesn't have a culture of all, then we will revert to a pre-cross, pre-Pentecost mindset. It must have a culture of all. There's not one of you in here that is less valuable, less significant than each other. Not one of you. We are not divided by color. We are not divided by gender. We are not divided by rich and poor. We are not divided by title. We are not divided by those things. We are united and the culture of Pentecost birthed. I believe for the first time in history, a culture of all. Secondly, I think it's more of a metaphor. If I can risk saying that, I think a lot of the Bible is more metaphors than literal. That's not that I don't mean it. I don't believe it literally. But I think sometimes we narrow down what we read. See, I'm not all that sure, and maybe age has affected this, but I'll pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. Hold on a minute, I want to prophesy. And your young men to see visions. I want a vision. And I'm not even sure I want to be called an old man. But I want to experience dreams from God. I, I, I think that the culture of Pentecost birthed the ability for all to hear God. In visions and in dreams and in prophecies. But I want to focus on one for a moment. You probably all know that I, Sue and I lived for 15 years in, in America. One of the great privileges of our lives, and perhaps an even greater privilege, that we got to come back. 
And, uh, but I remember the first class I ever taught in Bethel Church. It was kind of funny, actually. Chris Vallotton said, hey, we, we should teach a class together. It was very early on. I hadn't even been there two years. And uh, he said, we should teach a Sunday class together. We're going to call it Dreams Really Do Come True. Okay, Chris. All right, I'll do it with you. Let me know when you want me to kind of, what, which one's mine to do. He said, well, I'll, I'll do the first three or four weeks and then, and then you kick in. All right, great. All right, I'm, I'm ready. I turn up week one. Chris wasn't there. <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to teach on dreams really do come true. I turned up week two. There were twice as many people in the room week two, and Chris still wasn't there. I did let him know, though, that people came back even though he wasn't there. But I realized something as I began to teach that class, that there is an American dream. But there isn't a British dream. And I, 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 having now come back, see, I think, I think now the American dream is not all good, but here's the fact. They have a culture of dreams. So I don't have to dig very deep to get to the culture of dreams, to the American dream, to the dreams really do come true. I don't have to dig very far, but here's the problem. I can't get you to dream from a place where we don't have a culture of dreams. What happened on that first Pentecost, I want to suggest is that a culture of dreams and visions on prophecy, a a culture of hearing God, and not just hearing God, but believing that he doesn't just give you these things, he gives you these things. He gives the desires of your heart, and he gives the desires of your heart. Here's what I believe the problem is. I think if you take this down here as a culture of no dreams, it's really hard to get from no dreams to dreams fulfilled. You have to create a culture of dreams. There has to be an intermediary step, if you like. And and the Bible's full of examples. I, I love Psalm 126. We were like those who dream when the Lord restored the captivity. What does that mean? It's a weird translation, but it actually means this. We were like those who dream when the Lord restored to us everything that was lost as a result of our captivity. What's the point? The point is, he wants us to be people who dream. So that when we get back what we dreamed, or when we receive what we dreamed, we're like those who dream, we're pinching ourselves. Am I dreaming? Is this real or am I dreaming? And if you, if you never dream, you never get to the place that you realize your dreams get fulfilled. We have to have a culture of dreams so that we have people who dream, so that we have people whose dreams get fulfilled. And if you jump forward to Isaiah 61, that it's those people whose dreams get fulfilled who become the ones that restore the ruined cities, raise up the former devastations. You see, the corporate dream starts with a culture of dreams. Which leads to people who dream, which leads to people whose dreams get fulfilled, which leads to corporate dreams. There is something very unique. I've just been uh, reading uh, Steve Jobs' book um, on Apple, and it's very, very interesting. And, And a couple of people highlight the cultural difference between that Silicon Valley area, which incidentally, all of that great technological advance was kind of alongside... The hippies, the LSD, the marijuana, and the craziness. And there's kind of some connections there 
just because of the culture of that they were as likely to, to experiment with drugs as they were to experiment with this new opportunity. And there in that culture, they grabbed an opportunity. And they created Apple computers and Hewlett Packard and a whole host of other things. Here's what I would suggest is we must get back a culture of dreams. That's why I think in some respects yesterday is so beautiful and so wonderful. Some people can knock it and go, oh, it's, it's up there, it's untouchable. No, what, what our royal family are actually doing, I think, is making something tangible that we can all dream. Because there yesterday was displayed a path. Now, very, very few of us are going to take that path. But actually, it is a path that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords laid down for us to follow. That we are a holy people. A royal priesthood. We're members of God's royal household. We must restore a culture of dreams, of dreaming, of visions, of hearing God. My life, our lives, have probably been more directed in the last five, it's probably now actually slightly more, it's six and a half years. More directed in the last six and a half years by prophetic words than anything else. And I can teach destiny and strategy and stuff like that till I am blue in the face. But I want to tell you this, prophecy has guided us more than anything else. And even even when the prophetic word comes, if the prophetic word lands, but it doesn't land in a culture of the prophetic, it's much harder to hang on to that prophetic word. But if you're surrounded by a culture... Culture, one of the definitions of culture would be the way we do things around here. If, if the prophecy lands in a place that that's the way we do things around here, your prophecy just became much more valuable. But if your prophecy is just like something that's given to you and you're going against the flow, you're up against it, it's much harder for that to come to pass. It's why things like the school here, school of ministries around the world, but the school here, creating a culture... A culture of the prophetic, a culture of hearing God, a culture of dreaming, a culture of vision. It's not just for the people. It's for a church, it's for a community, it's for a nation. I want to suggest to you, it's time the Brits got their dream back. It's time we believed that we can change the world. It's time we believed that again. It's time we rose from the... the, as it were, the dust and the ashes and the criticism, the self-criticism of things we've done wrong with our gift in history and we got our dream back. We started to believe in a British dream. We started to believe in the great men and women. Honestly, I go to a place in America and they're telling me stories and I'm going, we were doing that 200 years ago. You know that. We had those Christian communities. We had the Christians in the Industrial Revolution who created communities. We, we had that, the Cabris and the Bournevilles and the Quakers and the Guinnesses. We've had that before. Guys, I love what you're talking about. I love it. But we actually had that before. Here's the tragedy. We lost it. We've got to get it back. I believe it's time that we learn to dream again. I love that, that a black American preached his guts out yesterday. I'm proud of that. I'm happy for that. But I'll tell you this. I'll be a lot happier when it's a British, black, crazy, Pentecostal, charismatic preacher. I read a couple of quotes and it's going, yeah, well, of course, such Brits, we don't have those kind of preachers. Something rose up inside of me. I'm like, come on. 
If I, if I die and people say he was a crazy preacher, maybe that's going to be okay. Like I'm, I'm willing to be called that. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just this time, it's time we got over this thing. We got over ourselves. We got over our weaknesses. We got over our limitations. We got over this lack of self-confidence and we became a people who dream. And we create a culture of dreaming. So people can come into our lives and into our, into our churches and can experience this culture and go, you know, I, I think I can do that. That prof- I think I can do that. That prophetic word. I think I can do it. I really do. So I believe point number two. He created the Holy Spirit. Created a culture. Of hearing from God. Of having dreams. Of having visions. This unseen. This, this culture. And then Joel said. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above. And mighty miracles on the earth below. I believe that a culture of miracles was birthed. Signs, wonders, and miracles. A culture. And we need that. There's no question about it. We need that. We need a culture. I was talking to a young man, and we, we, we were crazy enough to sleep the night on the long walk, but we live nearby, so we did it. And I'm glad, so glad we did. And I was chatting to this young couple, I'm not really sure their relationship to be honest, it didn't really matter and, and I, I, he said what do you do, I said oh, I'm actually, I, actually a, I preach, I'm a Christian preacher and, uh, he said well I'd have never guessed that I guess it didn't really look much like a preacher maybe but and we just changed so, so what, kind of, what kind of preacher are you what kind of stream what, 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 what? He, I mean, he was actually asking intelligent questions like well, I, and I sort of half preached my message really tested it out on him but it's like hey hold on it's like uh, it's about everybody the priests are all believers it's about that we hear God but it's about that we believe that he shows up we believe that he does things today we believe that he didn't die out with the with with the apostles in the in the new testament but I want to specifically suggest something to you I think we need to raise the bar To raise the bar for miracles. Not just signs, not just wonders, but miracles. To believe for a miracle anointing. To believe for such an anointing that the world will truly sit up and take notice. I used to wonder why some of the miracles I hear about or blind eyes opening don't find their way onto the front page of newspapers. I, I, I... I don't think I worry about it anymore. I don't quite understand it, I'll be honest with you, but I don't worry about it anymore. But I have a feeling that we need to go back and believe for and pray for and press in for a culture of miracles. When uh, Sue and I were early days at, at Bethel, we had a conversation with Chris once and we were, we were going through some things and, and it felt like we were going through a lot of process. To get to where we were going. Anyone ever been through a lot of process to get to where you're going? And we're kind of like, it's really quite difficult because it seems that there are these people who are getting their instant miracle. You know, like, you know, they got their degree free and we've had to do a four year course for ours kind of thing, you know. And, and, and we sat down, we said, you know, we just, we're just being honest, we're just talking about it and, you know, any advice just feels like a little bit hard and it's actually quite hard when we listen to these testimonies. And to be honest, some of the testimonies we weren't sure 
completely how truthful they were, to be honest, or, or whether these people had actually really got all of the breakthrough. And Chris said this, he said, uh, he said, Paul, we, we must have a culture of miracles that embraces process, not a culture of process that embraces miracles. Because if you have a culture of process before long, you won't have any miracles. Because you'll reduce everything down. But if you have a culture of miracles, you can still embrace the process. It applies in lots of places. Of course, Pete, I know, will have taught it here with regard to health and medicine. And, and it's one of the great tensions that, that we face. And uh, that, that we're believing for the instant miraculous healing, but we'll embrace the, the skill of the surgeon or, or the wisdom of the, of the doctor. But, but I want to suggest to you, that we need to raise the bar on this culture in our land. We need to raise the bar on it. I, I, I will forever celebrate the process. I'll celebrate the skill of, of counselors, of, of doctors, of, of, of people who help us, the, the inner healing people, the people who help walk us through a journey. But I don't ever want to reduce the culture to that process. I, I believe that on that first Pentecost... What happened was the culture was set here. This is the culture. Signs, wonders, miracles. Expect it. Live for it. Look for it. And if we do that, we can run with the process. We, we can embrace it. But I do think there's a tendency for us to reduce things down to process. We, we have the analytical minds. We have... We have extraordinary responsibility in this country. I, I love it, and I get frustrated by my own level of feeling responsible. I want to I be able to answer everything. I want to be able to work everything out. And there are, there are incredible strengths in our sense of responsibility. Let's never, let's never lose it. But I think sometimes we just have to risk that little piece of, hold on a minute, I, I don't want to have to work everything out. I, I'm willing to just go, that was God. And he showed up. I don't get it. Don't work it out. But it was God. I want to suggest that this Pentecost Sunday, that we raise the bar again for miracles. For a culture of miracles. You don't have to give up any of what you believe in process. You don't have to give any of it up. You just have to pick up something new and go, I'm going to raise the bar. For miracles for God showing up see many other cultures don't have as much struggle with this We've, we we obviously know with places like Africa where there's so much more of a, a kind of a spiritual worldview but our worldview here has become scientific relative rational reasonable arguable so to speak I suggest that that first Pentecost the bar got raised miracles First Pentecost was a culture of awe. It was a culture of visions, of prophecies, of dreams. It was a culture of miracles. And it was a culture that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, Sue and I were talking in the car, and I, I won't talk about the, the, the subject matter. But the context was this. The gospel is good news. It's good news. We and Pete spent three months out there, as you know, and we spent 
15 years in Bethel. And one of the things that we learned, maybe one of the biggest things that we learned was focus on what he is doing, not what he isn't doing. But I think one of the dangers that we've stepped into with regard to the gospel is that we have embraced things in our gospel message that we shouldn't be embracing in our gospel message because we don't need to. If we preach the gospel, the good news, what he is doing, what he isn't doing will take care of itself. I want to suggest that we've addressed issues that we should never have addressed under the guise of the gospel, under the guise of Christian preaching. And because of that, we have got ourselves into waters that we should never have got ourselves into. And we need to return to the true, raw, powerful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of salvation, of the gospel of the kingdom. And that the more we focus on what he is doing, those areas where he appears to not be doing so much will, as time goes by, take care of themselves. And we did, and I didn't know it was coming, but we did have probably one of the greatest examples that's ever been put on television in this country of a preacher who preached it the way it is. He didn't try and address issues. He just preached love and fire and the gospel. And the power to change the world through love. For God so loved the world. You see, the interesting thing about this passage from Joel is this. This is what I will do in the last days. Not not this is what you'll believe. This is what he will do in the last days. Culture is created when we believe, we do, and it becomes our culture. And too often we've got stuck in the believing And then we've allowed our doing to be a diluted gospel and we've wondered why our culture is diluted. And I want to suggest that it's time we go back to that first Pentecost, a culture of all, a culture of dreams and visions and prophecies, a culture of miracles, but a culture of believing the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I listen to people arguing about, well, did Jesus do this? Did he have altar calls? Was there a sinner's prayer? Was there this? I tell you this, on February the 28th, 3.30 in the afternoon, 1973, I got down on my knees by my father's dead body and I prayed a prayer. I don't know whether I got the words right. I hadn't read any of sinner's prayer. I had an uncle who prayed a prayer. God, you close one chapter of a book. That's what he prayed. And I said, God, start another one and put my name on it. I don't know whether that fitted the full perfect sinner's prayer, but I've been walking with him for a little while now, and he's never told me, hey, you need to do a proper prayer. I mean, I repeat, I've said it loads of times. We, we argue. We're arguing about semantics. We're arguing about stuff. That the, the gospel that was preached that day was very, very clear. And from there, it's beautifully written. In the Passion Translation, Peter continued, People of Israel, listen to the facts. Jesus the Victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many powerful miracles, signs and wonders through him. This man's destiny was prearranged for God knew, etc., etc. That's what Peter stood up. He changed the culture that day. He articulated it. 
He watched it before his eyes. There's people speaking in strange tongues. There's tongues of fire. There's people who are drunk. And he grabbed out of his incredible knowledge of the Old Testament. He said, oh, I know what this is. This is what Joel said. The culture changes today. All. No longer a division. That's over. The culture changed. He said, no, we'll be dreamers. We'll be prophesying. It won't just be the Jeremiah's and the Isaiah's and the Joel's. It will be all of us, your young men, your old men, your men, your women will dream dreams, see visions and prophesy. And there'll be signs, wonders and miracles. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. I believe we need another Pentecost. A real one. Not just trying to work out, you know. I mean, we've got, we get ourselves into a mess, you know. Whole denominations that are formed by the pastor every year signing. The first manifestation of the filling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I don't know whether it is or it isn't. As I said to RT the other day, I haven't been to college. I read the book though. Is that okay? He said, as long as you read it regularly. I've read the book, RT. It's like, okay. We divide ourselves up. We try, and, we try and pull things apart and put things back together. And it's time for another Pentecost. It's time for all of us to know, all of us, that he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. It's time. It's time for us to have a culture of dreams. It's time to have a culture of miracles. And it's time for a culture that we believe that whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Were there people watching the television yesterday who didn't have a sinner's prayer, who didn't have an altar call? I read one beautiful tweet this morning. It said, it, it, was, it was a black lady. You could tell by the way she wrote it. It was beautiful. I ain't no religious, blah, blah, blah. But get me some of that church tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Tell me, people cry now. Calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ yesterday. I believe. Why don't you stand up? Father, would you do it again? We need another Pentecost. We need a personal Pentecost. That every one of us says, I'm in. You counted me in, so I'm in. You said your spirit would fall on all flesh, I'm in. Father, I pray too that you would release right now dreams. A culture of dreams. That we would become those who live in, create, propagate a culture of dreams. And in that place, we'll see our dreams fulfilled. We'll be a people who don't just dream, but whose dreams are fulfilled. Father, I'm asking too for a culture of miracles. If in any place we've dialed it down, diluted it. If we try to rationalize it, argue it, debate it. Make it fit. Just as Paul said to the Romans, do not be conformed to the image of this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, J.B. Phillips said. We don't want to be squeezed into a mold of arguing it, rationalizing it. We want to be knocked off our feet. We want to be woken up with miracles that we have no explanation for. We want a culture of miracles. And Father, I pray, that there would be a culture that we would create that is simple, uncomplicated, 
the gospel of salvation that whoever, and I would add, however, they call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps millions yesterday said, I want what that preacher's preaching. I want that. God, may they find their salvation and may they find churches that understand them and welcome them in. Father, we need another Pentecost. Send your fire. Send it again. Send your fire. Send it that we would create a culture of awe, of prophecy, of miracles and salvation. For the honor of your beautiful name, I pray. Amen.